Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Folly Coffee Podcast. If you haven't done so already, I ask that real quick here, you just pause, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, and if you've liked any of the previous episodes or this episode, please give us that five-star rating. It helps us greatly. Thank you, and enjoy this episode. Episode 89, what the heck? It's all out of order. I I know. It's because we're excited to announce that Folly Coffee is now being served at Hot Hands Bakery in St. Paul. Minnesota. The reason we're releasing this episode early is because they're running a free coffee promo for the first week of the launch. Head to the link in this bio to get your free coffee now. On with the show. Hey, this wraps episode 89 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. Right, that intro is way less awkward when uh, everybody's wearing headphones, uh, and when I'm the only one wearing headphones, we're just staring at each other in silence as the intro plays, but I am here with the Hot Hands team. Why don't you introduce yourself so we can associate a name with a voice? I'm Tara. I'm Lisa. And what are your roles at Hot Hands? Well, I'm the general manager here. Um... I am the owner, and uh, some call me the Biscuit Queen. The Biscuit Queen. I've been called a similar thing. But I'm excited to announce. I'm going to move this episode up to launch tomorrow, since tomorrow is officially, and I'm recording this on a Monday, so tomorrow is going to be our official launch of the Folly Coffee program at Hot Hands, and that's why I wanted to have you in here today. (laughs) I feel special that we got those. But I... Want to go through the hot hand story because you guys are absolutely crushing it over in St. Paul, doing things over there that, based off what we've tasted at the roaster the few times we've had you over there, is absolutely incredible. And so I want to go back to the story, how you ended up from Chicago, here in Minnesota, starting a bakery on your own, and then kind of the direction you're taking it, how you've got, how you're doing the things you're doing and just go through the whole story. Cause that's really what the point of this whole thing is. All right, cool. So how did you Tara get into food in the first place? All right. So I usually started off with, I mean, when I was, when I was younger, my mom didn't really cook. She, I mean, a few things she had her like go-tos her like chicken, chicken breasts with like wishbone italian dressing of course uh, you know a patty classic patty classic um you know just like meatloaf things like that really awesome but so you were raised in the midwest is what you were oh, saying for sure yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 illinois yeah um no but i just uh i think it was in high school where i i started baking and then um i had a friend and his dad was a chef in chicago at the hyatt regency hotel um and I, I think I was like 16 and we went to his, to visit his dad at work. And, um, I just saw like the shiny, like all the stainless steel pots and like the hoods and the tables. And I was like, what is this place? You know? Cause I, that, that was the first time I had seen a commercial kitchen. Um, and just all, you know, like for holidays and things like parties at his, his, uh, house, my friend's house, they would have kick-ass food. They're just like, like fried fish and like homemade tartar sauce and just like beef wellington for christmas and so i was like you know i started getting into like a little bit more of um i don't know just things i had never seen i was like what what's beef wellington it's like pastry wrapped beef what um but 
Yeah, I just I, I so, so I think that's kind of where it started, but um yeah, I was I was uh graduated high school and was going to school for Spanish and realized that I was not going to be some sort of like interpreter. I just wanted to learn the language. Um and then I just I was like, okay, I'll just go to community college and cook and try and learn some pastry stuff and started uh you know scooping ice cream at overwise dairy do you remember overwise oh heck yeah come <laughs> yeah. on so at this uh, point as you're going to school do you yeah. have like an end goal in mind that you're like because it's always kind of fun to find the inception moment of when you start your own business and it's sometimes hard to know but having started hot hands now is this something you had in mind as you're going to school uh to learn cooking to learn pastry did you have the ultimate goal of starting your own business at that point no i think i think i had you know i started to learn a little bit more about professional kitchens and um restaurants and you know everyone's like oh it's super long hours and you're on your feet a ton and the pay isn't that great. And I, you know, I just wanted to learn as much as I could and cook as much as I could. And, uh, you know, just have a, have a job in a, in a restaurant that I really cared about and that I really liked. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I think my first real kitchen job was, um, little goat actually in Chicago. So yeah, if you're not from Chicago, cause I lived in Chicago for a couple of years now to, Lisa, tell me I'm pronouncing this right. Stephanie Izard. That is see, correct. See, I, yeah. I'd only yeah. I'd only read it at that point. I said Izard. She's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, it's no, a common, no. yeah, common <laughs> name. Loosely translates to mountain goat, hence the goat. All the goats. All the yeah. Goat. And so, if if you're not from Chicago, you might not be familiar with the name. But if you're in Chicago, the goat is a big time name, and she is a James Beard Award winning, like very highly touted chef. So it's not a small name to just casually drop, which is awesome. How did you end up at that connection? Because you both were working on that team, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had met each other um, through Little Goat, actually. Yeah. So I met, um, I started doing milkshakes, which is funny, like full circle. We we serve some pie milkshakes at Hot Hands, and sometimes I'm like, man, I feel like I'm at Little Goat again. (laughs) Cranking out the shakes. And the terrible noise that it makes when you run it into the side of the tin or the <laughs> aluminum, whatever it is. And was Little Goat a place that you sought out that you're like, here's a place that I want to work? Or how did you even go about finding that position? I That was another strange like connection that I had. A friend uh, knew the one of the pastry chefs there, Minnie Rafalski. Remember? Um, shout out to Minnie. <laughs> um, but Minnie yeah, he just... Philly. Yeah, he kind of, it was in uh, Philadelphia. They had worked with like mutual people and he emailed her or texted her and was like, hey, my friend is fresh out of, fresh out of baking school. What do you think? And I didn't know anything. I was like, what's a Cambro? What's that? What's a, (laughs) oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I, yeah, I just, I, I had had like little, you know, like ice cream shop and like a little bakery job in like the suburbs um, but I, yeah, little goat was like a huge, a huge step. I think I, I had wanted to work at girl and the goat. Um, but yeah, I started over at little goat and then they moved me over to girl and the goat in like three months. Cause I was, I had an itch to, I was like, you were just crushing the milkshake game. Like, so are they like, we gotta move her over. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was just, no, Matthew Rice was like, he was like, Hey, we need some, some pastry cooks over there. Would you want to do that? And I was like, Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I met Lisa's sister in the bakery at Little Goat. So we were both working at both places, uh, Gina and I. And then I met Lisa after 
And then it, yeah, I don't know. All right. So there's the first meeting of you two. So Lisa, what is your story? How did you get into food? Yeah, I was a hospitality kid from the beginning, I think, um, out of a necessity to have a job. Um, you know, not on paying not bills is awesome. Yeah, paying <laughs> bills is like kind of a necessity. Um, so started out pretty young, fifteen, as a hostess, um, and then worked in some other front of house positions in suburban restaurants for a while. And I had actually seen Steph on Top Chef while she was competing, and I was like, I will work for you. So my sister ended up over there before I did, and um, a position opened up. It was actually a hosting position. I was like, I don't care what it is. I'll wash dishes. I'll, yeah, she's a winner, yeah. winner oh, yeah. of the season four like, of Top Chef. Yeah, you can, you can call me, you know, I'll polish silver, whatever it is. Um, so I started there as a host, hosted there for six months with some, like, incredible mentorship. Um, some of the people that we've met there are still, to this day, a part of know our success in launching you know the new restaurant hot hands everything so working there for my my career there really kind of exploded at a rapid rate because of those people uh and their ability to recognize like she's hungry let's hold on to good talent so i hosted for six months served for six months floor managed for six months was the AGM for about six months and then generally managed for, oh, I don't know, a couple of years before moving on. Um, but it was an insane progression and I learned so much. And it was just like mm-hmm. the, I think like the focal, I still look back at that as like boot, boot camp. I was going to say, it sounds camp. like you cram like 15 years of experience in like yeah, a, yeah, in like yeah. a four you year so period. Fast. I started, you know, um, navigating and to host, to just say, okay, you're a host at Little Goat. You know, you're seating, you're figuring out how to seat a thousand humans in essence from 7.30 in the morning until 4 p.m., just one service. So it's not just you're taking names, you're, it's a serious, you know, there's a, a nuance and a skill to it. So learning how to handle that type of, you know, um, volume and pacing and how critical it is. And you see that what you do with the host stand affects everybody from the kitchen to the servers to the chefs and um, then learning, you know, how to write a budget and profit and loss. And I'm like, well, the first time I saw a P&L there, which is just line item after line item after it looks like another language to me and I'm like and you want me to do what with this document <laughs> um, but it, it I had incredible people that showed me the way and and because of that because I was just kind of fearless at the time and was like well we're we're doing this I'm gonna present and break down to some of the big wigs in the company you know documents and numbers and things that I have no formal training on or any expertise. Like I can pour you a sick cup of coffee <laughs> or I can manage the, the F out of some event, you know, yeah. and crowd control and all those things that come in with such a vo- high volume, high chef, you know, she has incredible expectations. And that was ingrained in me at such an early age to like, you know, you don't just walk into a restaurant, you look up, down, all around, there's something to fix. You make, something better every day you know you don't just walk into service okay we're here to serve pancakes like you're here to provide an experience for someone that's coming here 
it's a destination spot. They're coming here to experience this. It seems to me in, in all business that there's kind of like two ways to go about hiring or finding talent or promoting from within. It's, it's like the traditional way, which I think is really stupid, is you go, what's your resume? Okay, do you have relevant work experience? And you go, okay, this you look good on paper. It fits the role we're looking for. And then the second one is like, who just gets shit done? Right. And th- that seems to be how they were approaching it, that e- even though you were at a host position in positions that maybe you didn't have the resume or the quote unquote qualifications to be well, doing the P&L, that this is a person who gets shit done and they'll figure out how to do it. And uh, having people that know you don't have experience in it so that there will be a lot of questions initially. But those seem to be businesses and especially in food and beverage where, like you're talking about, there's always something that needs to get done. So if you're just hiring somebody because of the experience you've had, that kind of, you don't know all those X factor stuff. And this has come up just a couple episodes ago about just the people who are really effective get shit done. And those are the people that I like to find or, or work with. And even on a weird customer side is, well, yeah, you don't really technically choose your customers because you want to sell your coffee to as many people, but I want to partner with people who get shit done because that means it's going to be an effective partnership versus just a more transactional thing that you are a coffee supplier, you are, we serve your coffee, we will buy it from you, and then we're good. It's like, no, I think there's a really cool way to be able to do coffee just outside of this. And then we'll talk some of that when we get to that point because I think some of the promotional things we'll be doing are really fun. So you meet each other at, at this point, is it girl and the goat or is it a little goat? We kind of like overlapped. I think I was maybe on my way out when you started to Yeah, work and there, literally but... the restaurants are all a stone's throw away from each other. So yeah. you can you can be I was at little goat at and girl see goat, girl yeah. and the goat. So yeah. she had kind of progressed to, um, I mean, they both have their unique challenges. I think girl and the goat's menu, um, technical wise, is a little bit more challenging and rounds you know you out more as a chef but it's definitely a good place to start like a good place like it's it's unlike any other restaurant I've ever seen like her restaurants are I mean she like when her expectations of the employees and the staff there it's like almost unrealistic which is why I think her places are so great because she just holds everyone up to these insane standards which is something like I had no experience going in there and it was like it's like, okay, so this is how it is. Like, this is the standard of every restaurant. You know, that's what I was thinking of yeah. in my mind. And then, you know, you go to some so, other places and there's So you, Tara, going crazy, into yeah. it, like, got connected and you ended up there and then learned this. And then you were the flip side. I will do whatever it takes to work with you and work from the ground up. And it's cool that you came to the same conclusion. Because <laughs> sometimes if you're thrown into that situation where you maybe not necessarily have sought out this position and then you get in there and mm-hmm. then they have these crazy expectations that you'd be like, screw that. This, this sucks. I'll go find somewhere yeah, where it's like, not as stressful. You sink or you swim. And I think that's like her. Yeah. It's, it's like how you were saying the resume thing is like, you don't have to have a, you know, worked at this place and this place under these amazing chefs. Like it's, which I'm learning a lot. I've learned a lot having hot hands, like after, after operating this place is like, you don't necessarily have to have five years of baking experience. If you're like, if you're willing to get shit done and like, you know, do the grind and just like work through it. It's, I think that's something that's a lot more important than, you know, working under some fancy chefs or, you know, and then you end up having a team that wants it, like wants to be associated with something that's working on a different level versus someone who's like, this is too much work. They want to go find a place where it's just like, uh, we'd rather just have you be comfortable at all times. Right, That type of team pushes each other. And, you know, like you're finding that not to like 
be a Danny Meyer fangirl or anything, but like, <laughs> it's okay, I am. Yeah. <laughs> but like, there is a there is something to be said about that fifty one percent versus forty nine percent philosophy, where the forty nine percent being, you know, the technical skills that you can teach most capable humans, and the fifty one percent being, you know, your personality, your house, the innate capacity that you have to like, exude genuine hospitality and like, your emotional maturity all those things that just can't be taught I can't I can't teach you how to be kind and how to want to you know at the end of the day we're here for hospitality and we're here to give people what they want we're here to build human connection through food and beverage and that's what it is what's what it's about and I can't teach you to want that I can teach you to cook Tara can teach you to cook I can teach you to make coffee I can teach you how to serve how to operationally do all these things but if you don't want it or have the capacity to do it or get it quote unquote you we're working an uphill battle you yeah know? it's super prevalent in the coffee coffee world as i'm sure you know that on the barista side it's the same kind of thing it's like oh we just want a barista that has all the technical experience that we need to pull the best shot of espresso and it's this weird thing that I've noticed is that the person who's most excited about only wanting to learn about espresso probably doesn't want to talk to anyone. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. Totally. Yeah, it's so you need to find that unicorn It's, a, it's really hard to find. It's a I weird mean, it's conundrum. It's super hard totally. to find someone that wants both and wants to just be like super, I don't know, just friendly and accommodating and happy and but then also... It's a like, tortured yeah. artist. They're yes, like, you don't... Totally. I don't care who you are. You will not appreciate what I've done in the shot of espresso that I'm serving you. And then the only people they will talk to at all is somebody who knows all the technical aspects yeah, and is yes. really appreciating it, where 95% of customers that come through don't even may, may not even notice or say, hey, this is really good and not understand that everything went into it. But yeah. if they had a great experience, there are neighborhood shops. That's their entire business yeah, is we serve an okay cup of coffee but we're your neighborhood place mm, totally. and, and that's what I love about what you're saying about expectations as I think sometimes as things shift uh, away from like any sort of stress or any sort of anxiety I'm like but like pressure makes diamonds like if you're not stressed or have a little anxiety about anything then nothing's going to continue to elevate upwards and it's the, the sad truth it's like if you're staying stagnant in what you're doing you're not progressing and you're not pushing forward and there's always something to push forward with. And so that's, right. that's how I view it. I think that's, you'll see that with a lot of our customers. Those are the people we love to partner with are the ones that are like, no, a little stress is good. That's I what like we're, being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. We tell oh, each yeah. other all the time. They're like, should we, should we maybe not turn the ordering system off and just see if we can do it? We really, I we like embrace the challenge. I mean, and we, the staff, the poor, poor hot hand staff is like, oh, God. Uh, yeah, we have oh, to like manage God. their anxiety about us, <laughs> us wanting to push them so hard yeah. because I know that we can get more out of people if yeah. we continue to be that example and push each that, other. So yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. We feed off each other really well. And like, if she's, if I'm falling short, I tell her all the time, I expect you to call me out. And the same thing, she, we hold each other accountable so that we can be that example for, we have a little bit of a younger team and, you know, it's a, it's a challenge, but also I think a great opportunity that I'm grateful for because it rounds me out to be able to develop someone from the beginning up. And that's when you look at someone like Stephanie Izard, there was probably a long period of time where these practices seemed unrealistic until there's this weird tipping point that all of a sudden your reputation precedes you. 
And then people want to do that stuff. And so that's got to be a strange thing, especially when you're first starting a business, that you have these crazy standards, crazy to some, let's say, Mm -hmm. and people are like, why? Like, why would I put up with this? Or why do I want to do this? Until you get to that point that a reputation's established, then they go, well, yeah, of course it's like this, because this place is amazing, or this person is who they are. And the funny thing about a reputation is... You, the way you get a reputation is by what you do. So it's sure, this catch-22 right. that if, if at any point you kind of start to concede or you start to fold on things, that you'll never quite reach that reputation where it makes sense. And that's the weird thing about entrepreneurship or starting a business is people think you're crazy until you're not. Mm-hmm. Until you're doing something yeah. that people go, oh, so this is like real now. That you, so all the things you've been talking about are now happening. And it's, it's, I don't know what that tipping point is. I still, I don't think I'm there yet. I think people still think I'm crazy. But it, when I look at chefs like that, you go, yeah, the reason they're able to do what they do or on the bakery pastry side is because of that. And so you're now at a little, uh, I'm sorry, girl and the goat and kind of crossing paths. How long were you, Tara, at uh, girl and the goat? collectively like through three and a half four years i left a couple times and then realized that you always make you always go back to the goats you always go back to the goats (laughs) there's something about it yeah i spent a i spent a good chunk of time there i mean probably four years um i had also broken my foot in that time and so i was like doing weird like administrative work that i had no you know i was doing trying to copy and paste like you know, doing like beer descriptions for the bar and like training manuals. And I'm like, I'm a line cook. I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. But they, like the team there though, like the Aaron uh, table, table was yeah. the CDC at the time. And he was like, he was my mentor. I mean, he taught me a ton. I'm, I'm like, I'm always in, in almost any situation that is, you know, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with this. Like if it's a staffing thing or like a guest complaint or, or the opposite, you know, a guest really likes something. I'm like, what would, what would Tabo do? Like, he was just like my, my sensei. I don't know. He was it's just the he's same the with best. me with Teresa Magnin and our mentors yeah. actually work together now. Small yeah. world, you know. <laughs> yeah. They work together in Chicago still, and they they were because I think Steph was so smart to put the best people in the right places. That's what really kind of, you know enabled us to be able to do what we did and and it's so cool because it translates at hot hands now when we have young young kids that are like how do we become teach us to be you Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it's then you're like you don't want this kid yeah Yeah, i'm just like "Ah, i'm not like sleeping a lot and it's like not as glamorous as it seems but no it's like uh it it is the how you were saying it's like crazy until it's not and it's like People are like, oh God, how are, like, it's insane. Like, how do you just keep going? And you just like, you know, against, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to do. You know, it's like to, to build a brand and something that, you know, like I feel like I had my network in Chicago and then I came up here and I felt like I, I, it wasn't a long time that I was up in Minnesota until this like opportunity kind of came around. And, um, I was like, God, I, I, don't know anyone here like how do I just build this thing from literally the ground up like I don't know line cooks I don't know bakers here I don't know I worked at a I worked for a patisserie 46 for like eight months and I was like I I don't even you know like not even a full year until I 
like had this kind of happening and then yeah but it's no one cares as much as you do and I think you understand that like starting folly and like it's easy to do something and like to to give a hundred and twenty percent to something that you care about it's you know it's like corny but it's does not feel like work like it's you know it's just like your life it's you have to like you yeah. I'm like is this is what like having a kid is like, like <laughs> I feel like hot hands is like it's just like so easy to put so much into it and like I, I was I was reading well. a study uh, and they were comparing because you always hear that contrast of like oh this is my baby this is my child yeah. and they found in this study that it actually people that are small business owners talking about their business, it triggered similar parts of the brain as parents talking about their kids. And yeah. So I, I'm not yeah. a parent. I can't yeah. speak on it. Sure. I'm sure anyone same, with the kid yeah. right now is like, screw you, man. Yeah. It's not like, the same. You don't even person. know. But, uh, so, and it's funny that you say that about folly. It's like th- th- being really particular about things can seem really crazy when you're not doing anything. And when you first start, people are like, chill out, man. Like it's, it's you're not that big of a deal. This is not that big of a deal. Like relax on the small stuff. And, like, for example, uh, I, I remember explaining this to Jeff. Anytime he would respond to me and be like, hey, like, how much of the dark roast did we need to roast? How much of the decaf? I go, no, no, no. It's the casual Friday dark roast. It's the REM cycle decaf. And, like, it's it, referring to things very specifically. And he's like, why, why is that that important? And I go, because everybody has decaf. Everybody has dark roast. I go, this is ours. And it's funny. You'd see it from customers that they start ordering Dark roast, dark roast, dark roast. And if you respond with casual Friday, if you respond with the names of these brands, then all of a sudden they're ordering that. And it turns it into a slightly different thing. And then um, I don't know if you know Yia Vang. Uh, He's a chef and uh, he's been on the podcast multiple times. He's one of my favorite people. uh, He's like, I brought you and Jeff up to someone. And they're like, who who are you you talking about? And they're like, oh, you mean like Folly Robin, Folly Jeff. And I was like... (laughs) Go back to like day one of Jeff yeah. working with Folly, and every time I refer to him, it's Folly Jeff. And now, whether he wants it or not, he's Folly Jeff. At least while he's That's here, he's in my yeah. phone is Folly Jeff. Exactly. <laughs> and people go, "How did that happen?" I go, "It's not an accident." And it's because you have to feel ridiculous and uncomfortable for a while with being super picky about things, because long term, it then it just builds itself. And it's so hard to explain to someone without sounding crazy. That I go, "I know I'm going to seem like an asshole right now." but I need you to do it this way. Yeah, it and, seems ridiculous to people, yeah. Yeah, especially when you're first starting yeah. because I think any great business, if you were to explain what you think it will be someday or the things that you want to accomplish someday that people are like, maybe tamp those expectations a little bit, maybe calm down a little bit. But if you don't have those end goals in mind, and you're then you're just going to be cool with it. Oh, hey, I'm able to you know have a business and we're getting by. And whereas having that whole thing... and I know I reference psych studies all the time, but that when, when it comes to job satisfaction, it's not like pay and these things that people think are the most important factors. The number one factor in jobs, whether it's your own business or working a job is meaning in your work. And so something like a, like a, a baking position or a barista position, if you're at a place that you're not stoked about what they're doing, it's just a job. And then all of a sudden you're going to start to think about all the things that suck about that job right. and it's not fulfilling in any way. Whereas with you say you you always end up back up uh, at the goat you always end up back at the goat because you probably go other places and you're like this is just a job yeah it's the same amount of pay it's the same position but at this other place it was a part of something bigger and I was a part of a bigger thing going on and those are the types of things I always think about that I'm like I barely make anything and I'm working more than uh, like 
than I should be. And it's a really right. stressful, but like you said, it's like, I love it yeah. because it's a part of it's this period of thing. It's easier to do that when it's something that you care about. Like for me, it's hard to fake it where it's like, I don't know, like I have to really like Boof House, the last, the last restaurant that I was at in Chicago um, before I moved up here. Um, I was a pastry chef there and that was a place, it was a really small place. And that place I was like, I love it. You know, it was like, I, I've worked at other restaurants and, you know, they were doing their thing and I respect that completely, but it just wasn't my thing. And, but this like, you know, a few years at Boof House and I was like, damn, these people are, you know, like they have the same, I don't know, they, they bust ass and they like make awesome food and they, you know, they're, their attitude towards using every single scrap, like dehydrating. I'm like, you want to save these uh, tomato skins? And he's like, dehydrate them. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, sure. We'll make a tomato powder. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but just like the attitude with everything, it just like, hit, I don't know, Brian's my old boss. He, he just like taught me a lot about, um, yeah, just making everything with a purpose and like, you know, food waste obviously but yeah what creative and what brought you up to minnesota from the chicagoland area uh max so he is uh he's my partner my boyfriend um he we met in chicago and he he was going to loyola and we met there and uh i was at a party i was not going to loyola (laughs) (laughs) i was not going to loyola uh, but we, yeah, we, we dated for a little bit and then <clears throat> he did his thing. I did my thing and we reconnected after like five years and he's like, Hey, would you want to come up to Minnesota? I was like, Oh, sure. I'll give it a try. Yeah. But I was, I mean, it was, it was also like, yeah, I've lived in Illinois my whole life. Like I, you know, uh, something that Aaron table also told me, he's like, he's like, you can cook in any city you want. Like don't feel like you have to stay in one place. You should definitely go and see how other people do things and, you know, move around. And, um, but yeah, I just, I moved up here and I was looking at the restaurant scene, of course, cause I was like, well, I got to make sure it's a place that I'd be happy to, you know, be a part of this, this restaurant scene. And I was like, damn, this place is like, yeah, it's, there's some really cool places here and really talented people. And, um, and I'm sure I, you know, you would find that in any city, but, um, yeah, I, I came up here and then was working at Patisserie 46 with John Krause and, um, a friend. So Max's dad's friend told me about, uh, a new building being built and which is where hot hands and chips is. But, uh, yeah, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Just kind of like brushed it off. And then I was like, okay, all right. Like, this is uh down the street from my house it's uh you know so that's super convenient uh and then it was just kind of you know on Snelling Avenue and I was you know everyone's like oh right on Snelling that's a great that's a great location and I'm like it's a weird street name yeah I still don't know anything about the Twin Cities like yeah. at this point you yeah, know, it's I'm where like, Snelling in my brain is just like yeah, it's I'm ingrained like, in my brain you're like yeah Snelling Snell- Avenue yeah, it's like iconic like, for, and you're like yeah. that's a stupid come, name yeah. <laughs> I'm just like Snelling or like is that uh okay but no I it just I, I was talking to some people yesterday a couple regulars and um I it was just I was telling the story kind of where it just 
was progressing whether or not I wanted it to. Like it just it it just like seemed like it was all things were working out and like I had a friend that built benches and he built the booths. Max's dad built the pieces of wood for that and like the wooden fixtures on the walls and like we had I don't know, it just I started doing farmers markets and trying to get, you know, people to recognize who I was and to you know, try to, you know, get to know the community. Honestly, I was like, I just, you know, like I want to feel, you know, like feel it out and see how, like, see what people like. And if I can make something that they think is pretty good, that's awesome. Like, I'm like, I'm a, I could have a brick and mortar. That's insane. Like, I don't know anything about loans or, uh, I still don't. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, I'm like, we sure. Learn every day. We yeah, and it was a brand day. new building, and I, you know, we were, um, we were talking like one. Of, so one of the um, people who owned the building is like who who told me about the available unit uh, that Hot Hands is in now, and I mean, he he taught me a lot too, and he was he's he owns other properties in um, the Twin Cities, and so I learned a lot from just like hanging out with him, just like going to meetings and, you know, meeting with the architects and the builders. And I was like, wait, but like, there's an architect and a builder. What's like, what's the difference? <laughs> but I learned a lot. I was just like, oh, okay. So the architect draws the stuff and the builders build the stuff. Okay. And they're, they're like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, trust me. I felt like, and I'm like this young woman in a, in a sea of like, you know, eight, old dudes and, and you're like what's the name of the street again <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah it sounds super cool <laughs> you hold your own you do you know that. but no it it just like I was like I mean I the way that I've always been is just kind of like just I'm like I'll figure it out yeah let's just do it just you know we can talk about it all day or we could do it like yeah. just it's the, it's the fake it till you make it which is yeah I'm, I'm not crazy about that but in things like that yeah that if it's not exactly what you do, so like you're not a loan officer, you're you're not an architect or a builder. It's like why should I know about these things? Those are the things that I'll fake all day, every day, and I'll say absolutely. And yeah. then there's this Google thing that I can like, okay, what words do I need to know? Am I getting ripped off? Those types of things. Yeah, yeah. In business, most of it's faking it, but what you weren't faking is what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And so, what was the? How long of a process was that from? getting introduced to this building to going through the architecture, the building, getting everything built out and launched. I would say, man, I'm trying to think because I feel like it at the time it felt like time was dragging and you know, it's like if you, they say it's going to be done on October, just assume that it's going to be like January yeah. or whatever, but um a little over a year. Okay. I mean, it was like pretty fast for from like like learning about this it was it used to be a flower shop I think um but it was pretty dilapidated like nothing you know it was a very old building but um I learned about it they demoed it and then they started rebuilding this very commercial looking building which you know I have my own feelings about but (laughs) um no it's it's what you put on the inside which yeah well, that, that is something to say about that space that on the outside, it's it's kind of just along this line of buildings on Snelling. And then you walk in. <laughs> I mean, Jeff, yeah. I, uh, after I told him about you guys because he reached out, he went and picked up food that uh, that evening. And he texted me. He's like, 
have you, have you been in here? I was like, yeah. He's like, this place is sick. <laughs> like, it's very <laughs> unassuming, which kind of in a it's weird. It's unassuming. Yeah. It's like it adds to the experience yeah. too. Um, so let's hop over to the Lisa timeline here. So she has left for Minnesota, uh, and you're in Chicago. What are you doing during this time? Are you aware that this is going on as Hot Hands is being built out and all this is happening up here? Yeah, definitely. Um, my sister, it was involved. I think with. I don't know what she did for helping with hot hands or if it was just supporting you on the back end or just being like a Terra cheerleader. But I was, um, I was definitely kept in the loop from my sister. At that time I was still living in the, in West town in Chicago. Not sure if when you started, I was still at Willis tower or if I had moved on to West town bakery, but I was kind of sensing that my time in Chicago was, kind of coming to an end um i'd experienced all different types of concepts and you know some very chef driven concepts some very coffee driven concepts some really large scale multi-unit operational jobs um so really not to say that like you're always learning you know but i definitely felt like i wanted to shake things up a little bit as far as like location um then reached out to Tara around, I don't know, sometime last year. And I was just looking to kind of shake things up a little bit. Like I said, get out of Chicago. Um, My partner was looking to move up here for just like family reasons and things like that. So it worked out like pretty perfectly. I called her and was like, what's up? Hey, Hey. (laughs) it's Lisa. (laughs) Oh, hey, hey, you need anything? You know, and it worked out really well because – Um, while I coffee and hospitality and, you know, all the things that come along with it is my passion. Like I always go back to the, the farther, I guess I've go into the operations ladder and was like an operations manager at Willis tower and things like that. There are things I loved about that and learned about that, but I still was always drawn towards like the barista would call out and I'd be like, oh, I'll cover. I'll make the coffee. I, I'll do that. And they'll be like, Lisa, do you think that making lattes and pulling shots is the best use of your time? I said, absolutely. You're like, it's, it's like, more work, yeah, so yeah. it's perfect yeah, for me. But it's, it's also like therapy. It's cathartic, you know, to do the thing that I love um, and to come to Hot Hands and be able to do both, to be able to still make coffee on a day-to-day basis, but also, you know, be entrusted to make operational decisions and still have my hand in growing and learning in that capacity is like a really cool thing that Tara's afforded me. So I moved up here in like December of last year, um, kind of got my bearings and then came on as the general manager of hot hands and really focused on, you know, service, developing the staff, the coffee program in general. And, and that's how we met. (laughs) And that's how we met you. And that's how we met Polly Rob. And that's when it all went downhill. We went to the dark side. It was the beginning of the end. Yeah, but it's it's been honestly like like Tara said, you know, I'm coming up here with no network. Um, you know, I have my certain vendors, certain you know, we were just talking about who do I call up here when the espresso machine breaks? Like there are certain things that are just have been ingrained in my head and, and relationships and things that have taken years to cultivate and to, to come up here and not 
have any of those existing partnerships or anything like that is definitely, you know, a new challenge, but it's something that Tara and I are like grateful to be able to navigate and find partnerships, not just, tra- like you said, yeah. it's very important to us to find partnerships and not just transactional, okay, we're going to purchase from X from you, Y from you, Z from you. It, it, it needs to, for me, it needs to make sense with our concept, but also like, I don't know, you guys are weird and funky and do cool things and have tasty coffee <laughs> and like we're weird and funky and have good pies and biscuits and I don't know, just like it's a it's exciting for me to be to find new partnerships and new ventures and new yeah. things like that. So that's what I think was like one of the funnest things actually about not knowing any people up here is that like when you when you just I don't know, like you put your head down and you do the work and it's just like you, you do what you know and what you think is right. It's almost like people gravitate towards that. Or like you find, you find those partnerships that you really like, or like those people, like, um, I don't know, just like after having hot hands, I, I met people just from like people coming into the shop and like forming relationships with them. And like, now we have another restaurant next door and it's, uh, like, meeting Tim just through hot hands and like he's the bartender and like just like such a badass I don't know he's just like I feel grateful to be working with him you know it's just like how did I why is he working with me I don't know like but it's you know because we have him and I and like me and Lisa and you know we I'm sure like you and I will I'll learn that we have a lot in common because it's just like you just do the work and you just like you know put out the best thing that you yeah. possibly can well that's i have a very strange group of friends because if you look at me like i don't see what's happening here but it's like anybody that is passionate about what they do and a hard worker i'm going to get along with i don't care if yeah. we don't have a single hobby or yeah, anything absolutely. in common at all and that's that's the funny thing about me and jeff i think sometimes people look at us and go how are you guys are you, you guys must like must be a ton of friction you must not get along and i was like no we have like the same like we have the same like values. Yeah. We just present very radically <laughs> differently. <laughs> like, and so that's the whole thing is yeah. where I'm like, I'm Jeff's hype man. Cause he won't do it himself. Yeah. But in terms of like working hard and passion, he had no prior coffee experience outside of a barista job before coming on folly. Which and is wild to me. But, but yeah, it's like when you so see impressive. someone like that, you go, well, if I had just gone out and go, I just need someone that can roast and that's what I need. That's probably all that position's ever going to be, but he's taken it and been able to elevate everything we do to the next level, which goes right back to what you were saying is like people who get shit done is what you got to look for first. You can learn the other stuff, but you're not even going to want to learn if you don't have that kind of drive. And so you move up here. You've got, well, I also want to mention that you're serving out of La Marzocco espresso machine. You've got a great Curtis Wilbur brewing, brewing setup. What influenced your decision to have such a great coffee setup and to be intentional about the coffee you serve? Well, um, I guess I just, I reached out to people that I knew in Chicago too. Just like, actually, I think it was Ryan Daly. Oh, of course. Yes. I will, I will say this to preface it so you don't have to worry about what you say. I'm from Minnesota. I love Minnesota. Twin Cities. Love you. Chicago's coffee scene is way ahead of what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. And so the, yeah. the, the standard in yeah. Chicago, so you're probably just like, I just, I got the setup that I thought I was supposed to That's, get is, yeah. uh, I think is way ahead of what the standard is here in Minnesota. 
Yeah, I just honestly, I re, I, I asked a lot of, a lot of questions, a lot of favors, a lot of advice from people that I had used, you know, I had worked with in Chicago and, um, just like baristas that I knew, um, kitchen designers. I mean, like Jeff Maiman, like he, he, I'd called him about layout of, and like service flow and like how the barista counter was set up and even kitchen questions and just equipment and just, you know, trying to find where, you know, I asked so many questions. I mean, but yeah, just, just, I reached out to some, some people, some coffee folks that I knew in Chicago and they told me what to get. And, and I was like, like, yeah, this is a like, solid Are you setup. Sure? This is like super expensive. And they're like, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and the advice I got was like, be ready to just drop thousands and thousands. Like that's the minimum. Like kitchens and restaurants are so much money. Like ask favors, do anything that you can yourself. And the rest is like, you can't compromise on like, like uh grinders and the machines and, you know, like mixers and, but yeah, yeah, walking into to her restaurant, I honestly legitimately did not have a single wish as far as the barista side, which was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's I like just walked into just an incredible setup, and I was like, I have so much to work with here, and I have so you know, it was yeah, when, it was awesome. When we get incoming requests for like samples and stuff, and they say I have my own equipment, the immediate gut reaction is like, ah, oh, okay, what do, what are we going to be working sure, with? Like, can sure, this yeah. thing even do our coffee justice? Like, we actually have a Mr. Coffee. I do have a Mr. Coffee, and I'm proud of that here. I've got a full TikTok video explanation of why I have a Mr. Coffee. Uh, yes, the that is true. The podcast uh, coffee machine is a Mr. Coffee because I'm damn proud that it's the beans that are the start to a great cup. Yes. Everything else is working towards perfection, but the difference between a Mr. Coffee, uh, coffee cup of coffee with a few hacks that I like to do to amp it up a little bit. But when you start with a great bean, it's really a small, small uh, incremental differences between that and like a perfect cup of coffee. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. It, which it also I just, I, I just, I just like to I be ironic. It. That's, and a yeah. <laughs> that's a great bit. Hearing you say that, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like the, you can't compromise on, on the machinery, but like, I mean, you can, if, if, if you're, if you're starting, ingredients are crap then it's gonna yeah. be crap and like yeah. well, but what you're doing by having great equipment especially when you say grinder grinder is one where you look at you they've got a six hundred dollar one i'll get that one versus the fifteen hundred dollar to two grand range the grinder is the first step of amazing coffee and if you're compromising on there you're going to have inconsistency of size and then it doesn't matter how great of a barista you have so we were pumped when we learned about this setup because it was like oh my god yeah. yes this is exactly where we want our coffee yeah, and it's super important to treat treat the ingredients and the beans and like whatever the pie dough everything with respect and you know we running a, a business a restaurant is like people come back for consistency right like if your machinery breaks or your grinder goes out it's like okay well now I guess I'll upgrade but I don't know I guess it's just like yeah just respecting what you're working with is really important to and make a good this is something that's not often considered on the coffee side when you're talking about equipment is the people you would attract to work there because baristas, good baristas are going to be particular and they're like, I'm not going to want to sit at a place with a rundown espresso machine that they got used from some shop. They don't know what's, when's the last time it got service. What's your cleaning procedure? If those things aren't in place, there's a whole talent pool that will walk in see that rundown equipment and say, I'm not even going to consider working here. I don't care what the job is like. Whereas that equipment, you go, Barista's go, oh, 
that's where you go. I assume this place is doing great things and they have to prove me otherwise. And the talent you attract with that, you'll be able to get those third wave style, those craft coffee level baristas to want to work there in the first place, which is something that, especially if you don't come from the coffee world, you'd be like, what person walks into somewhere, sees equipment, and lets that decide if they want to work somewhere? You're like, someone who likes really great coffee is going to be extremely frustrated yeah. if they don't have the right tools mm-hmm. to serve great coffee. You're both nodding at each other as I say no, that. Yeah. Lots of side eye going 100%. on here. I think that that's part of, you know, a giant part of my focus and part of why I think that Tara wanted me to come on was to bring a little bit more of that, like, respect for coffee yeah. and respect for... Um, just the practice in general. Like, there's so much that goes into coffee, and it's not just or it's, that goes into baristing. It's not just coffee. You have to be able to steam, you know, different textures of milk and understand different coffee builds and understand tea and understand matcha and things like that. And if it's not something that they're passionate about, um, like you said, if 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 we're working with subpar equipment or things like that, immediately, I'm personally speaking, like not going to be that interested in working there. So we've had, you know, guests comment the way that we steam and treat the wands in between service or in between a rush. We'll, you know, throw some Rinza on there and get a pitcher going. And guests notice those things. And guests, a guest had told me the other day, oh, I stopped going to this one coffee shop because I saw them re-steam their milk. And, you know, that tells me guests know, number one, that's a giant sin. And number two, that they're paying... The general consumer is more knowledgeable than we give them credit for. That right there. Because someone who's a knowledgeable consumer, they notice that thing, they never come back. They'll never come back. Do you think they're going to order, see if it tastes good, then complain about it, and then you go, oh, we should stop doing this. Right. Experienced, educated consumers see the things, they go, I'm never – if I go into a place and they've got milk on their wand, I'm out. You're out. Immediately. I'm the same way. And you go, well – there's milk on the wand. Just don't order a latte. Don't mm. order a cappuccino. I go, I wasn't going to in the first place. Right. But if they're doing that, then everything about this coffee program is probably slightly flawed or potentially disgusting. Yeah, it's a, it's a giant red flag. And I'm, I'm trying to teach. And we have a, a younger team of baristas. And it's great to be able to work with them and really, like, develop and, and show them the way. Um, there was, you know, there's been several times where... They seek out. They're 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 proud to show me their milk. They say, "Lisa, look at this milk. It looks it looks like it looks like that paint texture you were talking about. It's glossy. It looks you know they're they're getting them excited and proud of what they're pouring and like extending challenges to them. Like, hey, give me a couple ideas for a special, and I'll put it on the menu. And they get so those little things to them and having ownership of what goes on the menu and what they're pouring and you know like we were going talking about earlier it may seem micromanagey almost to stop someone mid drink and say nope that's wrong we're not going to serve that i did that the other day mm-hmm. um but then that barista came back to me later and said thank you for doing that you know that i won't do that again because you did that you have to work under the assumption that whatever person is getting that drink, it's their first time being there. Absolutely. It's their first time having that drink. It's their first time trying anything associated with hot hands. And so it's like all the little things combined that if you let the little things sign, you go, well, that one was pretty solid. Then they go, well, this place is pretty solid. And then they're not going to want to tell anyone about it. They're not going to go out of their way to come back. And that's the same way I went, any coffee we sent out the door. I go, I'm assuming this is the first time anybody's ever tried it. 
Well, and that's a repeat customer. Well, maybe they're giving their friend some coffee to try, right. and they, this or that. And you go, it's, you have to have that constant, constant expectation on what you're doing. So while you're at our, the roaster for the first time for our first meeting, like, oh, you'll have to come by the restaurant sometime. I'm like, it's weird that she's calling the bakery a restaurant, but okay. You're like, oh, no, 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 I'm talking about chips. What the hell? Chips. What is going on here? I don't know, man. You opened a restaurant. <laughs> I don't know. Terra's on fire. And it's oh, funny because the, the second you mentioned it, because it did it. When did it open? Uh, end of January. It was a super soft, quiet open. Just you know, I mean, we just opened the doors and get it was our, three of us. In. It was one person to serve tables, myself, one person to do drinks, Tim, and then Gina was in the kitchen. So we didn't want to overwhelm ourselves, but. Uh, yeah, we started with a very bare bones, bare bones staff. Um, Gina is Lisa's sister, so Gina had also moved up from Chicago. Um, the unfortunately, the restaurant that's that was right next to Hot Hands was not doing well. I think they got really, um, you know, the pandemic hit them pretty hard, and things just were not going the way that they had planned. And um, yeah, it was just it. I was talking with. Um, like one of the one of the investors for the place um and he for chips and he it just i don't know it just kind of reconcepted and like hung a bunch of shit on the walls and uh, it was crazy the day yeah, or two before like, friends and family the three or four of us were just it looked it was a completely different restaurant it looked just like the previous restaurant they had brought in all these things and we were like okay we're just gonna we're just gonna go and so tara had just took a drill and just like a badass just went I into the wall. She just put, she put up all these decorations, <laughs> and, you know, and Gina was a big part of it. And she, Yeah, the lighting, like her vision for the lighting was like, I mean, I, I could not have done that. Just it's super dark and sexy and like everyone looks great when they're there. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, the music is too loud uh, for the neighborhood we've been hearing. But there's an ambiance. They'll learn to love it. Yeah, <laughs> I think they'll learn to love it. Yeah, but it's just like, I don't know, the three of us got together and like, we're thinking about a place that, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's during a pandemic, which is really scary to open a, a full service restaurant during that when no one is going out. But, um, you know, the neighborhood's been super supportive with Hot Hands. And I think like, you know, a lot of the overflow, like I've announced it on our Instagram and a lot of our regulars were super supportive of chips. And like, yeah, it's just... um we wanted to just make a place that people wanted to hang out at, you know, just like good drinks, good cocktails. Uh, I mean, we have a cheeseburger, we have ramen, which is people are like, what kind of food is it? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> comfort American, just like things that we all like to eat, you know, Such like simple food just done Gina so well, well and, you know, and you, yeah. you mentioned that you got one of the chefs from Al Cheval. Uh, she has some experience in that restaurant group. And so yeah. I think that, uh, a lot of, Success from the burger is coming from the fact that, you know, Gino worked at a place that had one of the best burgers Cranked in the country. Out, yeah. yeah. And just like, no, they just. And do she it had so opened, well. yeah. she was a big part of the, the culinary launch of the Al Cheval in New York. And she's just operationally so solid on building mm-hmm. a menu and building it. It's just, it's really impressive what she can do and to see the type of menu that she put forward and then to watch one cook execute it. I was like, how did you do this? Like, how did you? Wow. And it's so impressive the way that she built the menu because it's so smart, but it's still, 
It's it's very labor intensive on the front end, but it doesn't put us in a place to where you can't execute the food and you can't you can come into chips, get incredible food, and it'll hit your table in ten minutes. And I emailed you the post, but I saw Tom Horgan post about mm-hmm. it, which, you know, you may not be super familiar with him having just moved here, but he's he's one of those food critics. He's uh, I think he used to work for the Trib or still does, but he's one of those guys that I follow because his reviews are legit. Some t- you, get, you get like these foodstagram influencers and they're like, everything's amazing. Sure. And I, I unfollow you because I'm like, yeah. like okay, if everything be is the best a- thing you've ever had. Exactly. And he said right away, he's like easily top 10 burger of all time. And t- to be able to do that in such a short amount of time with a place that you just opened up and have somebody walk in and be like instantly, no debate, it's top 10 burger of all time. Uh, and that was it was almost saying like, it's in the top 10, I just need to decide where now. And to have that happen, and that's where I'm like, I need to go there now. When you see that happening already for a place like that, it's something like, well, why would a baker start a restaurant that is burgers and ramen? This reputation thing that you go, well, once somebody develops a reputation for quality, you put your reputation at risk by doing something like this. If if this if you were to open and people didn't like it, then they go, okay, well, she's a baker, can't yeah. do this. Yeah, stay in your lane kind of stay thing. Stay in yeah. your lane. But yeah. if, if you can do this and do it well, which it's seeming like already it's beginning to develop a reputation for that, then that that reputation grows. And you go, oh, she's got a successful bakery and a really great restaurant. And that reputation continues to build on itself where all of a sudden it's just this person is quality. Like this person is really kicking ass across different channels. And like those are the types of things where you look at someone like uh, Stephanie Izard or you look at different chefs in the area here where it doesn't matter what they open. Like people are in. And I I think of like Kamal Muhammad is a great example of Nashville Coop, Mm -hmm. just a couple doors down from you. He just opened Stepchild in Minneapolis. And my gut reaction is when I hear somebody open something outside of their lane, I'm like, I, God, I really hope this is yeah. good because I love it. It looks super good. It, I haven't it's gone It's so yet. good. Yeah. And they're crushing. Beca- I've seen a ton, ton of great feedback so far. Yeah. And it's because of what he focuses on is the quality has to come first. And th- I think that's what is going to potentially happen here is as people mm-hmm. go there, they go, okay, now the place next door is awesome too. And then opportunities to, you know, the fly, have you heard of the flywheel concept before? Mm, I don't know. It's, what is it? Okay, it's it's one of my favorite concepts, and for the listeners who don't know, of course, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. asking for a friend. Yeah, it's the flywheel <laughs> concept. Is that, you know, if you've seen a flywheel before, it's the thing that's really hard to get started at first, and so the first turn takes all your energy to get going. And then each successive turn is faster and faster and faster, okay, and then yeah. there gets to be a point where like it's barely any effort to keep it going and going yeah. faster, and so. The first stages of it are like opening your first ever business and opening Hot Hands Bakery. But then people start liking that. Then you open a restaurant. You already have an established customer base. They go in there, try that the first time. That tastes better. And over time, opportunities will be be easier to come across and execute on because you've got this reputation behind you. And so the... It's coming together now in my mind is like why that works like it does is because coming from a world where expectations are very high and keeping the pressure on yourselves and on your teams to execute at that level, like nothing ends up slipping. And I'm excited to try chips. Uh, it didn't work out last week because I had to go have dinner with my family. I was like, I probably shouldn't bail on that. It's been on the it's been on the calendar for like a month. Hey, bring your family to chips. <laughs> now that you've waited, we have a patio. So oh yeah, oh there's a patio. It's probably better that hot hands and chips are sharing it. Are yeah. sharing a patio and it's They're super like, dope. 
It'll slip points just for gotta it. make sure they keep getting along. Yeah, but keep I, sharing I, the patio. I, I can't space. wait to go to it. We're gonna line it up so that I can grab a coffee and then head over yeah. to Chips yes. for Burger because yeah. they yeah. overlap in yeah. the hours. I'm like, this is the first time I can go, go coffee and burger. Uh, there's a great there's a great optometrist right there. I was just about to ask. I do. Yeah, there you go. So in that's between th- that. There's a potential special Three deal birds. there. For sure. <laughs> Three birds with one stone. I Come mean, on, guys. You need new contacts? Go visit Lauren. Well, Lauren's, got, Lauren's I, got you covered. I used to sell prison. beer in Missouri and yeah. uh, Columbia. There was this barber that had a, a free pitcher of beer with every haircut special. So maybe oh, there's damn. an opportunity for a free yeah. burger oh. with every eye check. There's <laughs> got to be. I'm, there's I think be we'll something. figure that out pretty soon. I think we, or, got, we got to. Or if someone doesn't like your food, they get a code for X amount off their next eye check because clearly you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah. Oh, dang. (laughs) Now that's the winner. Oh, crap. (laughs) Let's get Max on that promotion, please. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'll I'll get this episode up tomorrow and we'll uh, we'll do the... Oh, yeah, so I I think the promotions we're doing are awesome because... what I like is when I was like, "What should we do?" You're like, "Let's like let's get weird," and I'm like, just "Cool, weird. So get get weird with it." You got the free co- like free coffee special, which is awesome for everybody to be able to try it. I love that strategy of give away what you're doing well, yeah. because then they're going to want it in the future if you're doing it well. And then uh, we're going to do potentially like a rotating competition of a of a drink that the customers oh, the that. customers yeah. can design. So we are <laughs> going to. We are. It's going to happen. It'll be super fun, I think. I think it's just like the more that I it, – it's fun for the guest, of course, but I also think it's like super helpful for me. Like what are you looking for? I come from um, a different, completely different market. I want to know what are you guys feeling up here? What would you want to see on the menu? I'll, I'll literally if – if I have it, I'll make you literally anything. I'll make you whatever you want. If you want it in you – know, there's – we have certain cups for certain drinks. If you want this cup with this drink, someone was like, "What do I have to order to get this adorable cup?" Like, you can order just anything. You can order. <laughs> you can order water. I'll give you whatever you want. So I want to know, you know, what people are looking for, and it's a really good gauge for me, and it's a fun way to be like proactive and to get people's, you know, get people pumped, get people yeah. excited. Like, I'll if you give me something really tasty, I'll put that shit on them. Well, and yeah. the, the cool thing as a supplier, and this is I'm, this is probably not a thought you even have as you're getting creative in your promotions, is even just as I ask, is like, how down are you to get weird with promotions? And you're just like, anything? Now, any idea that pops in my head, I want to shoot your way. Yeah. And well, that, nothing's it, off the table. No, and then that's, but it's, it's a small thing to note, but I've, I've had customers, and this, like, especially on the retail side, like the grocery side, I'll have a customer be like, the less I hear from you, the better, because that means things are going well. And you're yeah. like, okay, here's our annual promotional plan. That's one that's going to be on sale. I'll get out of your hair. Yeah. And that's what they want. But to you basically are opening up the door. Like, hey, if you can think of anything weird, let's do it. And those are the partnerships I like because then it's like, hey, this is coming up. What if we did this? Or you're talking about St. Paul and as things are opening up and then, you know, the state fair and all these different things that you go, well, we can't do it as a wholesale coffee roaster. But if I had a shop, this is what I do. And then it kind of fills the, that, that like excitement that I can go, oh, we can pass this on to them and yeah. be able to potentially do these things. And that was a giant selling point for us to work with you in general was just we felt like we could have a partnership rather than just a transactional exchange of beans for funds. You know, like there are things that I think we're mutually passionate about. And I think that, you know, that's, that's a non-negotiable thing for me when I'm looking for a new partnership is like, we're not, 
we're not doing this again. I'm not switching roasters again. You know, this is, I'm not, you know, this is something to me that's, that's very important that our team can feel like they have a partnership with you too. When our team came back from the roastery tour, they were like, I don't know if they were just aggressively caffeinated. caffeinated. Yeah. Or if they were, but everybody, and, and for the next following days after they were just like so pumped to, to make this switch and to be able to work with you and like, you know, we had sent out some teasers to on an email blast to our our guests, and I got some really fun responses back from people that were like, oh, what is it, what is it, what is it, what is it? So, you know, people, I think, are going to be pumped, and I think it's a, it's a good thing to have, you know, the capabilities to excite the team like you guys have been able to do. I will slip you your $10 bill under the table after the episode for that nice little segment. I will take that. (laughs) But I think that's a great way to end the episode. Super super pumped to be working with you, but it's it's fun to hear your story and know more that goes into it and know like what drives you. And it's, it's obvious to see what, when you walk in there that you're just like instantly the first vibe you get, is like, this place is immaculate. Like everything is so in its place and so, and it's just so clean, 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 especially, yeah. Deep clean Sundays. Yeah. that's the key. <laughs> Having come That's from the beer world and been in a bunch of back kitchens and been in coolers and seen yeah. how operations yes. go, it's never it never leaves your mind once yeah. you no, see no. it. And to keep it tight. Yep. It, it is this weird thing where once you're in the industry long enough, it is just this feeling that you walk into a place and you're like, I haven't looked around enough yet, but you can kind of tell. And that the mm. feeling in hot hands maybe it is because it's kind of just in a pretty commercial looking building that it creates it like, Oh shit, this place is awesome. And yeah, totally. <laughs> so I'm uh, very excited to work with you and uh, I'll end it like I do every other episode and say, have a nice day. <laughs>